Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 45. <coughs> I'm Scatty. We have with us Brooke and Matt, as always. Hello. Hello. We'll be covering this week a Storm of Swords, Sansa 4, Tyrion 8, Sansa 5, and Jamie 7. That's chapters 59 to 62, according to Wiki of Ice and Fire. Uh, only four chapters this week due to a special event that happens in these four chapters, uh, which we'll spend a little <coughs> bit of extra time on. <coughs> We are spoiler-free until the end of the podcast. Uh, during Davos After Dark, we'll get all spoilery and stuff, but don't worry about spoilers until then. We'll uh, we'll be we'll take care to avoid them. Uh, we have had mm, a number of questions over the past. Well, they started coming in like six months ago or so, uh, and they've kind of continued yeah. to trickle in um, regarding what we're going to do when we finish a Storm of Swords. Um, we're not retiring. We're still going to keep going. Uh, we are not going to just read all of A Feast for Crows. We are taking much of the advice that's been given from people to go with one of the combined readings uh, of A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons. For those that don't know, um, I think probably most people do, but A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons, uh, a lot of the parts happen somewhat concurrently. Um, he's kind of split the world, and some of the chapters happen in one book, or some of the characters' chapters happen in one book, and other characters' chapters happen in the other book. Um, but some super fans out there, there's a few versions of this, uh, have painstakingly gone through and tried to match up the chronology of these books so that you can uh, kind of combine the two works together and read them in a chronologically close uh, path. They've, yeah, taken a lot of time to, to do that, and um, we're going to go with one of those. There are several out there. Um, <laughs> we, we've picked A Feast with Dragons, um, which you can find, I think, uh, we'll we'll get a link out there for it, but... If you search A Feast with Dragons, I think you'll be able to find it, uh, and obviously we'll publish the reading order when we get there. But uh, that's the path we're going to take, for those of you that were wondering. Anything to add on that, guys? No? Okay. Next, hopefully most of you saw, uh, we had a major milestone uh, since the last uh, release uh, for the Davos Fingers team, uh, and mainly for Matt, because Matt did all the work. Uh, we had our first writing published it's published you wrote on, something down it's it's on <laughs> davosfingers.com in the writing section it's titled wolves i mean to hunt motivations of the red wedding conspirators and um if you listen to our last episode or maybe it was two episodes ago actually you heard matt flesh this out in in some detail but uh he's written it all down uh cleaned it up uh painstakingly gone through it and, and made it uh a really good read guys it's a lot of fun so it's real good so check it out, dollsfingers.com. Click on Writings when you get there, and you can find it. It's pretty great stuff. So I once uh, said we would never, ever write anything down, and I should eat my own plate of crow now for saying that. Good job, Matt. <laughs> hey, you still haven't, so you're good. You're sticking to it. <laughs> is, is that supposed to make me feel better, Dick? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to motivate you, buddy. <laughs> You know what? Because so, I know so many, so many have tried. Scott has some irons in the fire. Mm, I think people will be pleasantly surprised five, six years from now when they're done. That's what I'm saying. I want to see them. Yeah, right. Uh, okay, lastly, uh, and thanks, Matt, for doing all that. Lastly, uh, as always, if you want to contact us, uh, reach out, touch someone, but not me. I don't like being touched. Uh, you can find us at davosfingers.com. 
You can find us on Tumblr at Davos Fingers. Email at weirdalvisfingers at gmail.com uh, or on the, on the old Facebook. So reach out. Thanks, everybody. And uh, I think unless you guys have anything to add, it's time to just jump in. Let's do it. All right. Sansa, that's you, Brooke. Don't know when a prince will come, but surely he's gonna come for Sansa Stark. He'll be looking like a toolie and a daddy killed a wolf. He's Sansa Stark. Uh, all right. Stanza. That's uh, if Sansa and Stan from the Eminem video ever got together. Okay. <laughs> not wow. Stannis. Not Stannis, which would have been where everyone else went. <laughs> it's the morning of the greatly anticipated wedding of King Joffrey to Marjorie Tyrell, and Sansa is feeling so anxious, she thinks about asking for a cup of wine while she takes her morning bath. You know someone is feeling high-strung when bath wine and or shower beer is in order. Now, the reason for this unease isn't obvious from Sansa's exposition, so I'll remind you, gentlemen, that events on this day have been building since a cock. Does it feel like Sansa has been dodging Sir Dantos' gropes in the godswood for two books? That's because she has, but she's put up with it because Sir Dantos has also been hatching a plan to get Sansa out of King's Landing using magic, justice, a hairnet, and vagaries, the night of Joffrey's wedding, tonight. But first, the bachelor breakfast hosted in the Queen's Ballroom. There is a bachelorette breakfast for all the Tyrell women too, but Sansa is a Lannister now, so is off to watch Joffrey receive personal gifts from noble houses. Sansa briefly considers begging out of it, using her moon blood as an excuse, but she tells herself she must be brave like Rob and accompanies Tyrion like the dutiful wife she's become. Joffrey cleans up in treat-yourself fashion, receiving clothes, tents, cups, ships, jewelry, and from his uncle Tyrion, an extremely rare and beautifully illuminated history of four kings written by a grand maester. Even Uncle Kevin is like, damn son, every good king should read that book. But Joffrey scoffs at Tyrion's generosity, literally hacking the priceless book to pieces with the red and black Valerian greatsword Tywin has uh, made from him from ice. To be fair, know who you're buying for. And uh, (laughs) I want to give all my loved ones kittens, but I don't. I don't buy kittens. I give them what they because want. Because they will be hacked to pieces. <laughs> yeah. Like... <laughs> oh, oh. Okay. Sorry. I gotta pull myself together now. Yeah. Wow. That was, that was rough, Matt. Sometimes I forget. <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna use the, the example of like buying my dad a golf putter. <laughs> then I imagined him hacking a kid to pieces with a golf putter. With the Anyways. golf putter. <laughs> It's red and black. It's made of Valerian steel. To be fair, <laughs> steel golf putter. It sinks a every golf ball. putter wouldn't hack anything to pieces. It would just bludgeon it into kind of a meat sack of bones. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Shutting this down now. All right. So Joffrey loves the shit out of this sword slash golf putter, swinging the new sword around like an idiot and petitioning the breakfast guests for names. He settles on the classy widow's whale. Sir Marbran warns Joffrey to be careful as Valerian steel is deceptively sharp 
and Joffrey assures Marbran that he's no stranger to Valerian steel. Tyrion jumps on this boast, telling Joffrey that Tyrion will get him a Valyrian steel dagger to match the sword, maybe one with a dragon bone handle as a replacement wedding gift. Mm. Hmm. Sansa finds this exchange odd, but doesn't question it, as always, distracted by her own grief. Even when her and Tyrion are alone again in their litter on the way to the wedding ceremony, she doesn't question Tyrion asking about her brothers, in particular, Bran's relationship to Joffrey. She just does her best to avoid any admittance of loving condemned traitors to the crown. The chapter ends with Tyrion pointing out Sansa has never asked for the details of Rob and Catelyn's deaths. Sansa admits she doesn't want to know, as it would only give her nightmares. I think anyone would really have to be in her position to call that cowardly or not. Tyrion doesn't push her, admitting he too knows about bad dreams. And that's the end of the chapter. So big, uh, big three chapters dedicated to this wedding feast. Yeah. Yeah. One down. That one was exciting. One of my favorite parts was Joffrey receiving all of his gifts <laughs> And yeah. Mace Tyrrell gives him a wedding chalice, so like a, a big cup, a wine chalice, with right. two handles on the side. Like, you you know, the, it's the kind that you would choose foolishly when looking for the Holy Grail. Yeah, right? the Holy yeah, Grail. Sure. Yeah. One of those chalices. Yeah. You must choose. But choose wisely. Whereas the true Grail will bring you life. The false Grail will take it from you. It comes in pints. It it sounds like a trophy, like the big trophies with two handles. That's you what know, I'm like giant, yeah. And it and it has the seven great houses of Westeros on it in and their and their sigils and jewels. And yeah, Joffrey takes a look at this chalice. It's a bedazzled trophy. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's a bedazzled trophy that you can drink out of. It's basically a jewel encrusted Stanley Cup. And Jeffrey takes a look at the at the chalice. And he's like, "Well, we'll have to chip off the wolf and replace it with a squid." Yeah. <laughs> Which I Such a was. jerk. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's um, that old there's that old Lannister cunning coming in. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, um, I had like a very shocked reaction to Joffrey hacking up the book. I remember oh. when I was reading this. So I I like I will admit I'm a total nerd for illuminated texts. Like, do you guys remember last year? I, I went to Seattle specifically for, like, an old book festival. Like, mm-hmm. that's how much I love them. How did this make you feel? It it gave me stomach pains, which I had the flu while we were preparing for this podcast anyway. <laughs> so so it, it might have just been that. But <laughs> either way, my stomach hurt when I was reading that part. Um, well, and, then they, and then they ram it home by saying that that was one of only four copies left. Yeah. Yeah, Carlin Tyrrell is Garland like, Tyrell, um, yeah. did you know? He's so oh, polite. Yeah, we need to talk about Garlin. I don't know if he'll be now or in Davos after dark. I mean, we'll get there. There's for a sure. lot to say about that point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how was I affected? I mean, I knew it was coming this time. Uh, I don't remember how I reacted the first time. But, I mean, it's just more Joffrey. It's not a surprise. Like, I, I can't. Can you imagine him sitting down and reading anything? It's hard to imagine, but ah, I don't know. He's a dick. Yeah. He's just the worst. Yeah. He's just the worst kid. How about name I your get... own sword, toolbag? <laughs> You're like okay, not creative quiz. enough to name your own damn sword? 
Pop quiz, what were his last two swords called? Lion's Tooth and uh, Heart Eater. Heart Eater. Heart Eater. That's my favorite one. Heart, Heart Eater. Eater. Well, Good name. It's like a metal band. Yeah. Yeah. yeah solid. It's like a <laughs> band Scad listens to. Uh, I don't... I don't get. I don't get into. I don't like. I, I, there are a few metal bands I really like, and I, I I listen to their stuff a lot. But I don't go deep into the metal, which I'm. You yeah. You don't consider yourself a metal head. No, absolutely not. Say. No. Matt, if you would be so kind as to not sample Slayer after this conversation, everyone would really appreciate it. It is entirely. I deleted my files. I deleted my Slayer sound. Appropriate files. to sample Slayer when we're talking about Sam the Slayer. I'm not going to make him do it. I don't otherwise. think it's ever- appropriate to oh, Slayer. Slayer's not one of the um, bands that I have like all their stuff, but I, I do respect their gifts. Go ahead. This is where we could play a Slayer soundbite, but I'm not gonna, cause I don't wanna. Da-da. Um, I'd like to talk about the, the the Valerian Steel Dagger jibe a little bit next chapter, because mm-hmm. I think it's like we get some more details, like it's just a waste of time at this point but we actually get like Tyrion's inner monologue about it so if we can do that that would be great after the next chapter yeah Yeah. but in the meantime uh what I enjoyed about this chapter is we get an observation on Shay that isn't colored by lust which is refreshing (laughs) (laughs) different (laughs) yeah so in particular from Sansa um, she notes that Shay has bold eyes, bold, and sometimes gives Sansa the most insolent looks. <laughs> That's part of the course, that one. Yeah. To me, this is telling because she could be projecting like resentment and jealousy at Sansa. Yeah. But she's just mildly annoyed at being ordered around by a 13-year-old. Like She's not right. upset yeah. that Sansa's sleeping with her man, which means that Tyrion ain't her man. Tyrion is paying customer. Yeah, yes and no. There's there's one little thing in there from Shay that I thought was really interesting because like you said, we don't get we don't get to see her behavior from anyone but Tyrion's eyes and it's and his eyes are always very conflicted because he knows she's paid and and all that. But she says at one point, she doesn't she wouldn't need to say any of this. And she says, "Maybe the king's hand had need of his counsel." Like she could have just said, "Yeah, he went. He went to see his dad." Instead, she like thrust this thing in, like, "Oh, he's important. The king's hand had need of his counsel." Like she didn't need to do that. To me, it's it's a tiny hint that she actually does. I don't know about love, but she respects him and thinks that he's important and wants to project his importance. She has like no incentive to do that, really. Her Lannister giant is like a big man on King's Landing campus. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I just thought of this. Maybe the only incentive she has is to cover up the fact that actually they were just boning, um, and so she's like, "Oh, yeah, yeah, he went, uh, he went up this way, maybe," and then got nervous and started adding details she didn't need to add because that's what people do when they're lying. Maybe yeah, that could would... be it, but mm, go ahead. Yeah, because Brella immediately changes the subject. Brella, who we know was hired because she can keep her own counsel. She was like, oh, okay, let's talk about something else now. Like, she knows exactly where Tyrion was. Yeah, she Oh, may. you think uh, she's aware of the, the shut-in going on? Oh, yeah. Totally. Oh. Yeah, but she's she knows to hold her tongue. Mm-hmm. 
It says Brella mm-hmm. gave a sniff. Uh, so, so that like, Shay, Shay shut says, up, Shay? Here, here, I'll just read it real quick. Might be he went to see his father, Shay declared. Might be the king's hand had need of his counsel. Brella gave a sniff. Lady Sansa, you'll be wanting to get into the tub before the water gets too cool. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> when I sniff, you shut up. Yeah. Here's yeah. the sign. It's funny you put it that way. I, I, I thought it was like she was dismissing Tyrion and, and didn't think he was important. So I was like, whatever. But... Uh, I think you're right. I agree with your, I agree with your take. Still, I think Shay's comments were interesting. It, she didn't need to lend any information at all. Yeah. No, I'm glad you pointed that out. I didn't take into consideration at all. Good stuff. Also, uh, another good Sansa interaction in this chapter is her and Podrick Payne, whom she admits oh. being, being apprehensive about because he was cousin to Sir Ilan Payne, oh. the guy who beheaded her father. But it turns out Podrick is just as scared of Sansa as Sansa is of Illyn, which Sansa finds just adorable. She and... even thinks he's like mildly handsome. Yeah. If not for the zit on his nose. <laughs> Big, like ready to explode zit right in the the, the cleft that of you his just... nose. Yeah. Oh no. I know those, those problems. Are the worst. It's been those a few are the worst, years. Yep. <laughs> and they hurt. Oh. They do. And it's like when you, you go half a day through school and you're in high school and then you're in the bathroom and you look in the mirror halfway through the school day and you see it there and you know. You know if you do anything about it, it'll just look worse. It'll just look worse. And you also are just horrified that everyone for that whole half day has already seen you with it and there's absolutely nothing you can do. Yeah. One time I accidentally rubbed my nose and the thing was so ready it popped. I rubbed my oh, nose like on the other side. <laughs> Like, I was trying to avoid it like you guys are talking about. I, like, rubbed the other side, and it was enough to, like, jar it loose. I was like, oh, fuck. Did you hit anyone? Did it just uh, go up like a... No, no, just my own shirt. Because at that point, just go big. Yeah. Mm. I've, I've always had a problem Beat going that big. that guy. <laughs> <Beat> that guy. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you guys notice at the beginning... Uh, she's she's dreaming or th- or thinking of uh, of lady, and then she thinks about her family being safe and warm, and she and then she realizes like no no, and she goes and she lists all these names of people who are gone, and she even thinks of Septimore Dane, but she does <laughs> not think of John, nary a mention. Mm. Could be that no. that's because John's not gone, or she doesn't know whether he is or not, but. She thinks of her family and doesn't even think of him and does think of Septa Mordain. Yeah, and also every time she mentions John, he's her bastard brother, Jon Snow, and that yeah. just ups her internal word count. It's just, <laughs> she doesn't have time for yeah. that shit. Well, the, the takeaway I got from that was that I just feel bad that she doesn't get to have wolf dreams like Arya does. Like, Arya finds a lot of comfort, it seems like, in her wolf dreams, and Bran does as well. It'd be nice if Sansa in her situation could just get that once in a while, you know? That yeah. little bone where she could just escape for, yeah, but for a night. Instead, she gets lemon cakes every now and then. <laughs> no, not worth it. Not not a good substitute for inner peace of her soul. Okay. Well, she can eat her feelings, and I suppose that helps for a little bit. I've been so, doing yeah. it for no, years. You're right. Great point, Skad. <laughs> I agree with you 100%. <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> uh, I love Tyrion, but... Seeing him through Sansa's eyes, he's really off-putting. 
Like the drinking, like he just seems like a slob and like a know-it-all. You know what I mean? Like and we he, usually get Tyrion through Tyrion's own mind. The knife thing. Yeah, yeah. Why is he so impertinent? Like, why won't he just stop asking me this? <laughs> yeah. She she puts it really well. She says something like, he looks at me like, like a, starving a starving dog. Yeah. yeah. Or starving man. <laughs> Maybe I'm making it worse than it is. But I, I have nothing to feed him. Like, stop. Yeah, right. And then we get immediately, you know, Tyrion's take on it, where he's like, just give me something. Just, just I am I'm doing my best here. I, I need some reassurance. And right. yeah, they're just never going to see eye to eye. And it really strikes a lot of empathy for both characters yep, and a right. lot of and a lot of judgment for both characters too like they both need to give a little it comes with time loves it what's important not to cheat as long as you love each other yeah it comes you with know, time uh, come on Tyrion does mention well. maybe like going to casually rock but sorry what are you laughing about did i miss something <laughs> just Scad made the that's what she said joke and you just plowed ahead, dude. Oh, <laughs> I didn't hear it. You know what? It's fine. It's it's fine. Casterly Rock. Oh no. Oh no. Let's let's giggle some more. Casterly Rock. Um It's actually in the next chapter, it? but I don't oh, it is doesn't it? it doesn't matter. We'll they get all there. together. Yeah. Um I think that would have been good. For her, obviously, would have wrenched some plants, but... Anyone in any way associated with Joffrey, it would be good to get away anywhere else, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, just get out of his way. Guy is... He's a walking fucking calamity. Yeah, but also, I think that she's been raised to take over, like, a castle, right? Yeah. To run a castle as as a lady. And to, to have responsibility to have a job to do I think would have been an excellent distraction also um, could have maybe bolstered Tyrion's claim to actually being heir to Casterly Rock like oh, that's a good point if she would have done a good job yeah, yeah. remembering that you know Joanna's dead so there really isn't a lady there uh, oh. I mean there's people that are doing the job that the lady would do but there's not the capital L lady Lannister mm-hmm. running Casterly Rock right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, That's a good point. Any, anything else on this chapter? <sighs> We're coming up on time, I think. I, gosh, I, I really fell into the rabbit hole of that Lives of Four Kings book. And I started, because Kevin Lannister, like Brooke said, is like, everyone should read that book. Yeah. And boy, <laughs> there's some cool stuff. I, I went and read about all those, the Four Kings. That would have been perfect for Joffrey. In a world of ice mm-hmm. and fire. I did, yeah, in a world yeah. of ice and fire. Yeah. So, can I give a quick one sentence summary on each one? <laughs> you don't have to be quick. As long as we laugh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so Darren won. He was a boy king. He's the one that invaded Dorne for hasty reasons, and uh, tens of thousands died, even though he won. Um, he was killed while meeting with the Dornish under a peace banner. Baylor, we all know about him, and he was so pious and everything excessive fasting he had like ill-advised appointments like pate in the street and and then a street urchin to be high septon yeah like an eight-year-old he made an eight-year-old the high septon yeah um then you got Aegon uh four who was we remember him he was the epitome of excess did what he wanted damn the consequences 
uh, the one with all the bastards and everything. And then finally you have Darren the Good, who's like the one good example of all of these. Uh, he was the king through the Blackfire Rebellion, and by all accounts he was fairly wise and did a good job. And then Tyrion mentions they, min- they missed Viserys, who he was a hand longer than he was king, but uh, he did a good job too. And so there's all these examples of about finding balance, I think, controlling your lusts for power, excess, yeah. uh, for religion, mm-hmm. worldly appetites. Because even Baylor, like what killed him? Well, what's on the books is killing him. There's some that think he died other ways. But what's on his death certificate is fasting. He fasted for like 41 days or something, and it finally killed him off. Um, So it's just about finding these balances and taming your excesses and worldly appetites and tempering all those things and everything. And like you guys said, Joffrey, you know, he could have learned these lessons from these, this book, but uh, he wouldn't have anyways, but uh, it it was indeed a a cool thing to look into and is good for any King to read because you get examples from all different aspects of, uh, appetites, I think. One thing I wrote down about that too is uh, the first one, Darren. Uh, what was it? The first one called Darren, Darren One. Darren One. Darren the First. Uh, that's the same king that Shireen uh, and Edric and um, Davos's kid, whose name I always forget, uh, Davin. Davin. Yep. Uh, the same king they're reading about uh, over over at Dragonstone that they're so fascinated by. Interesting that Joff has zero interest. Anyway, just a quick interesting note, (laughs) I guess. That's a a good find. I think it's Devin, too. Oh, Devin, not Davin? Not that it matters. I think there's a Davin Lannister. Vowels! There is a Davin Lannister. Damn me. Okay. All right. uh, Anything else? We'll move on to Tyrion. Let's do it. Yep. All right. This was a 22-page chapter. It is a reasonably long summary. Brace yourselves. Cripples and bastards and broken things But the power of the mind can give you wings Drinking and japing and yeah, ladies Tyrion, Lannister, or Imp, if you please The shimmering spectacle of the High Septon's new crown Can only be matched by the beauty of the new royal couple Joff and Marjorie look dashing as they say their nuptials But all Tyrion can think about is strangling his nephew Having just unwound the evidence that Joff had sent the footpad to Bran's cell to murder him Oh, he also thinks a lot about the pee he needs to take. It's bad, guys. Niagara Falls bad. <laughs> Here's the summary on his discovery about the footpad. Briefly. Joff had sifted through his father's unused daggers, armed a common camp follower to wait until the group had left, then sneak into Bran's room and kill him. But Joff didn't realize he'd given a blade of Valerian steel, a blade that would be recognized. Uh, though Tyrion still doesn't know why Joff did it, and it eats at him, but he doesn't understand why. Anyway, the ceremony goes off without a hitch. Vows, cloaks, etc., but it takes forever according to Tyrion's bladder. But the bladder must needs wait longer. A litter ride back to the castle, an uncomfortable litter ride with his wife that still wants nothing to do with him. He asks her if she might like to go to Casterly Rock with him, accomplishing some distance from Joff and a departure from this place of disaster for Sansa. But he is met with cold courtesy. What about Bravos? The same, cold courtesy, icy. Well, she is from the north, I guess. So, they reach the castle. Tyrion relieves himself of his silent wife and his urine, and gets straight back to the important things in life, drinking and thinking. He ponders the upcoming reception, the luxury and power it is meant to project to the common folk and privileged alike. He also thinks about what it represents. The Lannisters have won the war on every front, and no one can stop them now. 
Dressed for the reception, Sansa looks beautiful, Tyrion like an ugly, misshapen dwarf with half his face missing, and they are off to the reception. Conversations had, courtesies remembered, and given by Sansa with aplomb, and Joff and Marjorie enter again looking fantastic, the hope of a nation. Tyrion and Sansa sit far down the line next to Garland Tyrell and Lady Lyonette. A toast is raised to Marjorie, and with that, food and booze begin to flow. Heavily. Now, with 77 courses scheduled, I can't list them all, but we all know Brooke's mouth was watering throughout. Suffice to say, many dishes served, many goblets drained, and many songs sung, during which we get a few interesting anecdotes from Tyrion. I'll, I'll go through them real quick. First, he looks around with envy at all the happy women, his eyes finally resting on one pregnant Fossaway girl very much in love with her husband and with the baby they have created with that love. And we are reminded of what it seems Tyrion really wants. Love. Second, Sansa is in fucking La La Land. She isn't eating or drinking. She's not even listening to the singers who she loves. Sansa loves singers. She's not even paying attention. Tyrion puts it down to general misery at her predicament. Third, Garland again offers Tyrion praise. The reader might remember this happened at Tyrion's own wedding, as Tyrion is complaining of the singer's interpretation of the Battle of the Blackwater that gives Tyrion nary a mention. Garland exclaims that a valiant deed unsung is no less valiant, and indicating that Tyrion was made to do great deeds, not sing of them. Lastly, people are getting stupid drunk, falling asleep at the table, stabbing each other, etc. So, before it gets too out of hand, Joff drunkenly calls for everything to stop. He wants his royal jousters. They appear. Two dwarfs, one on a pig, one on a dog, one dressed Baratheon, one Stark. Everyone is delighted save Tyrion and Sansa. A joust is attempted. Comedy ensues. Throne riders, melons mistaken for heads, a dog mounting a pig, and one dwarf turning them out the other. The hall is in a ruckus, uproaring laughter when Joff declares that this dwarf is not a true champion because true champions face all comers. Joff turns to the guests. Who else will challenge our tiny champion? Uncle? More laughter to shame Tyrion, but he rises to meet the challenge. I'll ride the pig, but only if you ride the dog. Joffrey. Me? I'm no dwarf, why me? Like taking candy from a baby, Tyrion replies, Why, you're the only man in the hall that I'm certain of defeating. Dead fucking silence for a while, followed by more laughter. Tyrion did not take it that time. So, Joff beelines it over to Tyrion, immediately dumps a huge chalice, the aforementioned chalice from Book, of wine on Tyrion's head. But Tyrion demures this time. He doesn't want to raise the stakes even more. He doesn't want it to escalate, so he goes to his knees to pour Joff another cup of wine. Joff is eventually coaxed back to the festivities by the next dish, a pie of live birds that he must cut open. Widow's whale is sheathed in favor of Sir Illyn's sword, Ice. Wait, what happened to Ice? Sansa panics as she wonders what has been done to her father's sword, and Tyrion regrets not setting it to Rob. Anyway, the pie is opened, Ice or not, and the regular pigeon pie is served as birds fly about from the live pie. Tyrion has had enough. Soaked with wine, embarrassed by the jousting, his wife is in no mood to be there at all. Basically, the events of the evening are just wearing on him. They're about to leave the feast when the bully Joff stops them yet again, demanding that Tyrion serve as his cupbearer. Joff takes a long drink of wine, then steals some of Tyrion's pie, shoving his bare hand inside. Now, what follows is a dramatic interpretation of the wicked end to a wicked boy. It's ill luck not to eat the pie. See, it's good. <coughs> Dry, though. He's washing down. <coughs> I want to see you ride that pig, Uncle. I want... It's the pie. I can't... 
Ai, o I'm gonna send Shelty a quick text and just let her know you're okay. <laughs> she heard that. They try pounding on his back, ripping open his collar, turning him upside down. Water. Nothing works. Half the wedding guests flee, the other half gape like paparazzi lenses. In Joff's final moments, he points accusingly at Tyrion, who has watched this whole scene unfold. But he keeps his head, finds the chalice of wine, and upends the remnants onto the floor. Circe Baratheon screams, and Joffrey Waters dies. The queen is dragged away from her son, and the queen-to-be Marjorie consoled over the loss of her new husband. It was not to do with you. He choked, we all saw, It's Lady Allery. But Circe commands the king's guard to do their duty. The king did not choke. He was poisoned by Tyrion and his lady wife. Arrest them both. Chapter ends. Bravo, sir. Bravo. Hey, thanks. God damn, it's almost as good as you saying the noise phonetically, which is cough, cough. Oh, cough. Yeah. <laughs> K-O-F. I've K-O-F. never cough, 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 cough. Like yeah, it's weird. <laughs> it uh. sounds like an ent noise. <laughs> a great job. The ent wives. Yeah. yeah. The, the king is dead. Long live the king. Good riddance. Yeah. Joffrey's dead. Yeah, I remember the first time reading this and just feeling so elated. After the Red Wedding <laughs> disaster that was, you know, only several chapters earlier, this just, it, it felt like I was being paid back. You know, like... <laughs> and, and you're not the only one. But at some point, I... I, I look back at myself and I think, should I be this happy about a 13-year-old kid dying this horribly? Yes, you should. Think back and to that book he destroyed. <laughs> yeah, and then my answer is, yeah, he was quite the 13-year-old. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it really came up quickly after the Red Wedding. Like, you barely have time to catch your breath. Yeah. yeah. And... Uh, and then, and and the purple wedding has is I, I feel is less well known, like as a term, but yeah. equally as important. So we'll find out why later. But uh, Gurm could have called the Storm of Swords <laughs> two weddings yeah. and nine hundred eighty-three funerals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, the two weddings, like the two towers, it could have been his masterpiece. Hmm. Yeah, it really they they really are kind of the two showcase events of this book, I think. And uh one just heart-wrenching, the other one, yeah, kind of like Matt said, you you're you feel a little guilty about how happy you feel. <laughs> mm, I'm not suffering from any of that, not even a little no. bit. <laughs> so <even> a little. <laughs> So, uh we talked about wanting to get into the knife. You want to get into the knife? I do. Okay. Go for it. Okay. I feel like it's a bit of a cop out on Gurm's part to make Joffrey the one who hired the assassin. Like Tyrion, I'm questioning Joffrey's motives. Like, he didn't have anything personal against Bran, and it seems really complicated and risky to organize that assassination. And I, and I might credit Cersei with coercing Joffrey in some subtle way, but Joffrey, historically, does not actually respond to subtlety, so you can probably count that out. Um, also, it's, it's like... It's too political a move for such an immature and entitled little 
little shit. Like, like it's, it's too smart. Like he does not deserve the credit. And the only thing I might chalk it up to is like a progression of his animal torture. But I imagine to get the same kind of satisfaction or whatever he gets out of that, Joffrey would, would have to be the one spilling the blood. Right. Or at least witnessing it, like commanding it or watching it or yeah, something. Yeah. Like, uh, mm, yeah, no, it's Joffrey might have known who the, person who hired the cat's paw was but he wasn't the one responsible so you you basically don't believe don't believe it say impossible so who do you think it was the hound what, what, why? why would he want to do it he was probably ordered to do it by cersei um i think we can count jamie out because we would have known about it from his pov chapters but uh we wouldn't think, know about um, it from cersei's no, because it's too far. Like, we don't get our POVs until like the next book, and it's too far in the future, right? Like she wouldn't dwell on it, so it's excusable that it would not come up. So I, I feel like she told the hound, or maybe the hound, you know, took the incentive um, to do it himself. But um, he either, you know, bragged about it to Joffrey, or got the knife from Joffrey, or made Joffrey a part of it and got Joffrey to get the knife, or something like that. But it was definitely not Joffrey's mastermind. Hmm. It just seems like the Hound only really does what he's told, at least at yeah, that, that stage of his I wouldn't life. See him. Oh, really? Only so. does what he's told? I don't know. I've been seeing a lot of rebellious uh, behavior from the hound lately. Yeah, well, but it's that... very straightforward rebelliousness. It, there's nothing conniving, it seems like, about what the hound does. Okay, so you believe that Joffrey would be more conniving than the hound? Are you serious? Well, After this display? I don't think it's that conniving at all. I think he just found someone to do it and did it. Like, I, I'd kill this kid. Uh, well, for one thing... Uh... The feud with Rob. This is just one way to just, like, fuck with Rob, maybe. Well, and there was that one time when... Um, this is the one that I've always latched on to, was there's a part where King Robert is kind of like... Oh, I've heard the, this too, yeah. The kid should have just died. And he it, didn't mean it like, I want Bran to die. He mean it like Bran's suffering, and it probably would just be better if he didn't live, because he's going to have a horrible way of life going forward. And Joffrey, always trying to do anything to please Robert, took that to the max that Joffrey takes things and did it. I think I that can't... is viable, but Joffrey doesn't do everything, didn't do everything to please Robert. He he was repulsed by his father. He also admired him, though. He was taught to I mean, not respect Robert. He was taught by his mother yeah, to not was. respect him, but he also still, like... He really held him in high esteem. He says things like, remember my father would have to... taken all of them. Or Yeah, remember what he says to Tywin, where he's like, my dad did this and da-da-da. And you just cowered you behind Castle Rock. Yeah. Uh, jo- yeah, it's a mixed bag. I, he's He definitely has conflicting emotions about his father, and he should. His father didn't raise him well. Um, uh, maybe that's <laughs> an understatement. I don't know. I, I it, it's hard. I, I get what you're saying, Brooke. It's hard to imagine Joff like, masterminding this thing. It's almost right. like he had somebody go do it, but they came up with the plan for the burning tower to get the distraction and not him. I don't know. I I don't know. I get what you're saying. Oh, yeah, good point. Burning tower, yeah, that just adds another element to this whole thing that would require some, some organizational skills, which 
arguably Joffrey has none. So I I will definitely agree with you that Joffrey's need to please or at least get attention from his father might have had some part of it, but he was not alone. It just doesn't seem like a Sandor move to me. And look, I'm the biggest Sandor basher out there. But... I, I I I can see a point in Cersei doing it. Obviously, she doesn't want Bran talking. But yeah, I can't see Sandor either. Fine. I'm trying to be honest with you, brother. Yeah, he's trying to be honest. He doesn't want to hurt down. your feelings, but he's trying to be honest. <laughs> Do you like how I just like totally resist it too? <laughs> you guys are wrong. I am yeah. right. That's how we roll on this podcast. <laughs> um. So I don't have much in this chapter. Do you, is there more dagger stuff? I, I don't. I don't really think there is. Uh, I, I still am. Motive is hard to nail down. Uh, if it were easy to nail down, Tyrion would have done so. Uh, or mm. or there or he's wrong, like Brooke saying, and there is no motive because he didn't do it. Um, it was but, nice that but, Joffrey. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, yeah, but I, I want to hear what Brooke had to say first. <laughs> it's not important, but it might make you laugh. All right. It matters. That's what we're here for. It's it's nice that Joffrey didn't grope Marjorie when he was fashioning her bride's cloak. <laughs> didn't give her a squeeze. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's really well, you would if he had, you would have started to wonder, like, maybe he just thinks that's how this is supposed to go. <laughs> maybe he thinks this is the betting. <laughs> also, when Tyrion saw Lancel down from his sickbed... I didn't think about Lancel like recovering from the injuries he took from the battle on the Blackwater. I thought about Lancel just being like a dried up used husk after banging Cersei for Cersei. so long. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's not those, those. That's not from wounds sustained in battle and everything. Most of the STDs he's done. Hair, hair white, aged twenty years, can't walk by himself. Sounds about right. <laughs> <clears throat> the rampant gonorrhea he's got just <laughs> it fell right off <laughs> it's gone it's just a gaping black hole between us oh legs. my gosh <laughs> Tyrion uh, I mentioned my summary uh, I was really struck by his uh, taking a gander about and seeing the women and just kind of, you know, wanting that for himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. He he talks about how he wants to reach Sansa. And yeah. one of the questions that I had when I was reading this is, why is he trying so hard to figure out the Joff thing? Like, what does it matter at this point? Yes. What is his reasons for trying to figure all this out? Yeah. And I wonder if wanting to reach Sansa is part of it. Like, just giving her, being able to give her something, and even if it's who pushed her brother out the window, he wants to give her, like, something that will get through to her. Hmm. Uh, While he's peeing, while he's peeing, when he finally gets the chance to pee, he says he wishes he could relieve himself of his doubts and guilts half as easily. And I think he honestly... He loves he loves doing the shuddy with with Shay. He loves all that, but I think it honestly makes him feel a little bit guilty that he's not faithful to his wife, and uh, I, I think that yeah, it's shame. We talked like about that last episode. This, yeah, he, yeah, shame. 
I think he <laughs> honestly feels like maybe solving this brand thing will be something to give Sansa because nothing think, else is working. Yeah, I think that's part of it, definitely. But also, like, think of the ordeal he went through when Catelyn falsely accused him. Yeah, like just just like putting that to rest would be enough to like uh-huh. find out who actually like sent that Caspa yeah. would be great because. And yeah. is it just now he's, he's finally got the time to do it? So that's why it's suddenly come up now? Uh, well, well I got... think because he finally got a clue. Yeah, he got a clue. It's just like a, a, yeah. it's like a cold case being reopened. Yeah, mm-hmm. like that really changed his life. I mean, he yeah. he almost died several times. He found the Mountain Clans. He found Bronn. It, it changed um, the whole kingdom. Yeah. I was, I was going to say it arguably changed yeah. every life in Westeros. Yeah. <laughs> Amy's life. Yeah, for sure. Ned's? I guess. I guess whatever. whatever. <laughs> uh, I don't have much else other than like just breaking down uh, the elements of the purple wedding. There's a lot of little subtle things that happen in there. Um, from right. well, I don't I don't know if I don't think it's a spoiler, but um, maybe we leave it to Davos After Dark to break that down. I don't know. That's what I was thinking. Okay. Yeah. Just, just in case. case. Yeah. Right. Just in case. There's just there just for the as a tease. There's a lot of really cool subtleties in that chapter, like reasonably subtle that you can pull out of there that that offending parties uh, did to make it happen the way it did. It's pretty cool. You can point some of those out. Yep. Can't wait. Okay, uh, move on to Sansa again. Oh, good. That's More Griffin Sansa. Again. That's me. <laughs> More Sansa. All right. Don't know when a prince will come, but surely he's a gonna come for Sansa Stark. He'll be looking like a toolie, and her daddy killed a wolf. Is Sansa Stark? These are actually excellent chapters, thank you. But um, it's a lot. So, in an uncharacteristically strategic move, Sansa got out of the wedding feast when the going was good and only ran into Lady Tanda, also escaping potential trouble. Lady Tanda admires Sansa's tears, considering the king rejected Sansa and married her to a dwarf. And of course, Sansa doesn't tell her they're likely tears of joy because Sansa literally feels like dancing. She makes it to the godswood, the bells of Joffrey's death ringing out over King's Landing and changes into the dark brown dress and deep green cloak she'd hidden there the night before. As she's taking down her hair, she finds one of the black amethysts from from her silver hairnet is missing from its setting. A sick realization comes over her as she puts two and two together, the first two that Ser Dantos had encouraged her to wear the hairnet to the wedding feast, the second two that the black amethysts are from a sigh, and everyone knows that shit is black magic. Danto shows up, hammed as usual, but wearing his surcoat of House Hollard, again, the one Joffrey had forbidden him to wear when he made Dantos a fool. Sansa immediately accuses him of taking one of the stones from her hairnet and using it to poison Joffrey, but Dantos brushes off the claim and tells Sansa Tyrion had been arrested. Sansa briefly wonders if Tyrion had known about the hairnet, and put it in and put the amethyst in the wine that he'd been serving Joffrey, but admits that that doesn't add up. There is no time for further dwelling as Dantos leads her down a steep staircase through the castle walls and out a secret door above the river. 
Amazingly, and I mean amazingly, Dantos even leads her down a ladder cut into the side of the cliff over the water without doing a header into the Blackwater Rush. They rendezvous with a scraggly gentleman Dantos greets as Oswell, who looks passingly familiar to Sansa. Oswell tells them to shut up and rose them through the night far out into the Blackwater Bay, all the way out to a trading galley where none other than Peter motherfucking Baelish is waiting for them. Sansa is shocked, thinking Littlefinger was still in the Vale, marrying her aunt and convincing Aaron forces to join the battle. Surprise! Littlefinger has Sir Dantos crossbowed with no ceremony. Death instead of the 10,000 dragons promised to Dantos, which Littlefinger assures Sansa Dantos would have just drank away before snitching to the queen for more gold. More surprise, the whole plan to get Sansa out of King's Landing, including Danto's befriending Sansa, Joffrey's death, and Tyrion's framing was Littlefinger's doing. Why? Why the hell not? Keep your enemies shocked and bewildered, Sansa. That's how you play the Game of Thrones. So while Dantos gets murdered and his corpse burned along with the skiff that rode them out to Littlefinger, Sansa gets a clean, warm cabin in the trading vessel, and the confession that Peter took Catelyn's maidenhead. And had his situation been different, he might have been Sansa's father, and now he's going to take take her home and keep her safe. And that's the end of the chapter. We don't really know where they're off to, presumably the veil, vale, but it's certainly feeling like Sansa just hopped out of one septic tank into another. <laughs> Indeed. And, uh, yeah. First Joffrey yeah. and now Dantos. Who yeah. are we going to lose next? Who are we going to lose next? Did you guys see Littlefinger coming? I did not see Littlefinger coming. No. I don't remember that I did. At least not personally. Yeah, it's not sure personally. He might have, yeah. yeah, he might have had a hand just knowing his obsession with Sansa, uh, which has been made pretty obvious throughout the series so far. But actually, personally picking her up, that's commitment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's creepy. I'm still going with <laughs> Littlefinger for the Creeper Award. Um... <laughs> You think Littlefinger's creepy in regards to Sansa? <laughs> nah, maybe I'm overstating it. Yeah. <laughs> no way, he's totally he just, appropriate. He just feels like she needs a father figure, and he just wants to take her under his wing. He wants to take her under be, his something. Be there for her. <laughs> Do we have to explain to you how sex works? <laughs> Are you talking to me? Yes. Uh, I... I meant like under his covers. Okay. I don't know. All right. Just gently covering her with it. (laughs) Soon you will be a child. It provides shade. Swapping it on her. Feel the heft. Uh, It's a little finger. Yeah. Maybe. Uh... I, that that whole last that whole last page is is has got a lot of interesting stuff in it. Yes. You know, keep it, keeping. You know, you you wonder whether, like, he he has one paragraph where he says, it's just all about keeping people off balance, and then he unloads the thing about, you know, taking Cat's maidenhead in the very next paragraph. It's like, is that true, or is he just trying to keep Sansa off balance? Like he just yeah. he just told you that this whole game is about keeping people off balance. And then he unloads this big thing on you. Uh, maybe he's just trying to keep you off balance. He's 
very gentle about the confession though like it's almost easy to miss he's so like and your and your mother gave me something that a young woman can only give Give once once, it's like and then it's like like what her innocence (laughs) a flower yeah a ride on her dying pony i don't know yeah (laughs) her umbilical cord from i don't yeah uh I, I and preceding the, in that on that same page, like Littlefinger is terrifying. He's in 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 being asked why he would do this. His answer is because I had no motive to. That's sweet fuck. That that is a scary way to make choices. Why mm. not do it? I have no reason to do it. So let's do it. Let's. Mur- I've got no reason to murder you either, Sansa. Let's murder you. No one will see it coming. See. Like yeah, that... here here I would argue that he's bluffing again. Yeah. Like, like he he does have a motive, it's probably economic to to mm-hmm. keep it to keep the kingdom in turmoil and and yeah, like, no motive that we'll they can guess. Things... Yeah. 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 But no obvious but, motive. But but it, him him stating that he doesn't need a motive is true enough. Yeah. Like to to, to pull like wild card moves is definitely part of playing this game. Yeah. Though I wouldn't say this particular move, literally killing the king, was super wild card. That's 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 a lot. That's a lot of like waking up one morning, being like, hmm, "I'm going to kill the king." You know what I'm going to do today? <laughs> the... I'm going to march on down to the Red Keep. <laughs> the funny thing is, he is he he's expertly, or someone has expertly set up Tyrion to take the fall. And in Tyrion's own chapter, he wishes the king dead like five times in his own head. <laughs> Like, that's your perfect target. He wants it done anyway. He'll probably confess to it. And check. Good job, Littlefinger. That's Uh, another thing from that Tyrion chapter that makes you kind of doubt everything that's going on is that Tyrion's reasonably inebriated during that whole chapter. And so you're kind of like, what is he really seeing? And what's really going on? Yeah. He, at one point, when he stands up uh, on the table to say to, to challenge him with the "Will you ride the Will you ride the dog?" thing, he even says he wouldn't remember this later. Like, uh-huh. he, like he's so <laughs> drunk he he doesn't remember doing it, which is a weird thing to get from a POV. You're getting it from his head, but he's telling you he didn't remember it. It's a weird right. thing. <laughs> it's a weird yeah. thing to think about. It, it definitely keeps you on your toes. It makes you even doubt a little bit. Yeah. Have you guys ever been curious about muffled oars and how they work? I thought it was kind of obvious. No? Well, yeah, nope. I don't... Oh, wait, are we getting a Professor Scat? I was gonna, but if everyone knows it, then I don't want to embarrass myself by being the only one that didn't understand what this meant. Because I, I was like, they're pat, they're like patting the oars as they hit the water, so they're not making noise. Oh but no, it's just where the ore goes through the boat. The, where the ore goes through the ore locks. I did not know right. that. Because that wood hitting the metal part of the boat, or it could be wood too, I suppose, uh, but that makes a loud sound. So it's just like, it's just wrapping that part in cloth the, of, mm. of the ore so that it doesn't make a loud sound when you're pulling. Did not it's know hard. that. Did you think an ore lock was something you played in Warcraft or something? It sounds like one. I was excited when I read that. <laughs> I uh, hate it when it makes a loud sound when I'm pulling. <laughs> you should get that looked at if that's happening. You just have to wrap some cloth around it, Matt. That's what it is. I mean, you could do that anyway. It'd be an interesting experience. 
Oh, this is a dirty episode. Holy cow. Every once in a while, we have to remind ourselves, I think anyone can listen to this cast. Who we are. Like, well, no, but who knows who's listening? It could be some 10-year-old kid somewhere. Well, and, and who could be listening? You know, it's on the internet. It's not going to go away. My children as teenagers might be like, what was dad doing clear back then? Oh and they my pop gosh. on an old episode of Davos Fingers right. and they hear this. It did hit me. like have it... more shame? Yeah. Love you guys. Oh. Yeah, love I love you kids. Yeah, I love you, Mary and Pippin, so much. <laughs> I did have the realization you. like a year ago. I'm like, I could never run for public office. It's not something I ever <laughs> wanted to do, but I did have that realization like last year. It's like, oh, well, that's to do is find this. Mark that off the list. Uh, to be fair, our current prime minister, Justin Trudeau, has some wickedly awful, embarrassing stuff on the internet, and he still made it. He's so, also awesome. Take comfort. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. Really do enjoy him. <clears throat> yeah, so... Um, Ready to move on? There. Yep. I'm good. Okay, let's move on to Jaime. Finally, I get a chapter summary. Okay, wine, my favorite wine, thing. Wine. <clears throat> <laughs> Here we go, Jamie. Would you know that he's deadly in a fight and a smile so wide to get shaving at the palm of his hand? Jamie Lannister got a thing for sister, gonna keep it quiet so we'll push a kid out a window. And when that king's lying, dead it doesn't matter, reason, bottom line is this the treason. And deep inside, could there be something on if you can see a hero? Could that be? Said Jamie, said Jamie, said Jamie Lannister, say it again, said Jamie, said Jamie. Said Jamie Lannister. Uh, uh, uh. So, returning to King's Landing with Brienne and the escort provided him by Roose Bolton, Jamie receives the news: King Joffrey, Jamie's own son, is dead. Accounts of his death are varied, and Jamie doesn't quite know what to feel. He knows he should feel grief, but I mean, how can he when he never even so much as held the boy? He feels nothing. He even admits that if he had to choose between getting his son back and getting his hand back, the choice would be easy for him. Uh, He tries to even imagine Joffrey's face, but he can only see Cersei. And with that, he rides even harder to get back to his sister. So as they come within smelling distance of the city, Jamie congratulates Brienne for her part in getting him there and points out that she'd fulfilled her oath. And Brienne replies, no, she hadn't, as the deal was for her to return with Sansa and Arya. And she is listless after all of this. She's just a bag of sand, pretty much, uh, especially after she found out about the events of the Red Wedding. Not even Jamie calling her wench elicits a response. He he offers to return her to Tarth. He offers to get her a position at court. He even offers to find her a place on the city watch. Wow. <laughs> Good one. Thanks, Jamie. <clears throat> uh, but she all she refuses them all, and Jamie gives up and leaves her to her misery. So entering the city and making their way to the Red Keep, Jamie Lannister, Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, the infamous Kingslayer, and basically a Westerosi celebrity, is not even given a passing glance due to his bald head, beard, and a shield that bears something other than a lion. It isn't until he arrives at the Red Keep and speaks with fellow Kingsguard homie Marin Trant that he's even recognized. Um, and as they enter the, the Red Keep, they come across new Kingsguard member Loras Tyrell, who goes full... 
I kill you mode upon seeing <laughs> Brienne, who he accuses, of course, of killing Renly. Brienne tells the truth of what she saw, a shadow, but Loras tells her to pull out her sword anyways because it won't be said that he killed an empty-handed opponent. Only interference from the one-handed Jamie, who manhandles Loras into place, breaks up the scene before it can escalate further. Best line of the whole interaction is when Jamie says to Loras, sheathe your bloody sword or I'll take it from you and shove it up someplace even Renly never found. <laughs> oh, Shade. Yo. Uh, he must have been Jamie. a lawyer. How would he know? <laughs> Jamie, however, acquiesces to Loris's demands to have Brienne arrested on charges of murdering Renly, and he has her taken to a tower cell. So it's then that Jamie makes the rounds to announce his triumph at homecoming. First stop, you guessed it, Cersei. She's at the Sept, mourning the loss of her son. He finds her alone with Joff's body in the Sept and uh, goes to come for her. She accuses Tyrion of Joff's murder and asks Jamie to personally kill Tyrion. Uh, then Jamie shows her his stump of a hand and then the stump in his pants. Yep, they do it right there in the sept. The body of their son just feed away. Uh, po Postcoital regret sets in for Cersei after they're done, who warns Jamie they need to be careful. Jamie's like, screw that and declares that he's sick of hiding and is ready to come clean with the realm regarding he and Cersei's relationship. And Cersei dismisses him. So, <laughs> nice reunion. So with that uh, success under his belt, Jamie goes on to greet the next family member, his dad. Tywin greets him, it says, as if they'd last seen each other at breakfast, which in fairness is about the same way he greeted Tyrion when Tyrion returned from captivity. Uh, and then Tywin reveals that he'd already been informed of Jamie's escape and was just waiting for him to return. It's not until Jamie shows off the aforementioned stump, the one on his arm, not his pants, that <sighs> Tywin loses it, spouting off threats and frankly showing more emotion than we've ever seen Tywin show. How dare his trophy child be robbed of his greatest tool? Uh, we see that with some athletes' parents these days. They talk about the normal fair. Uh, Tywin and Jamie do the war, the wedding, who killed Joff, etc. And then Tywin sits Jamie down to have the marriage talk. With his hand gone, Tywin says, there's no point in keeping Jamie on the King's Guard, and he's sure he could get the High Septon to release Jamie from his vows. At that point, he can be reinstated as heir of Casterly Rock and get married. Tywin's thinking Marjorie, while considering Oberyn Martell for Cersei. Jamie's like, nope, ain't gonna do it. He says, I don't want her and I don't want your rock. I am a knight of the Kingsguard, the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, and that's all I mean to be. And he declares it with finality. Uh, admirable. Uh, we don't see many people talking to Tywin that way. And if they do, he sends them off for a timeout like he did with Joffrey. But Tywin, after a very long and awkward silence, finally replies, you are not my son. You say you are the Lord Commander of the King's Guard, and only that. Very well, sir. Go and do your duty. And that's where the chapter ends. Duty. <laughs> Two very different reunions. Yeah, they kind of end the same way, though. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, actually don't, parts I, I don't. I don't think the reunions are that different. Um, you know, one involves coitus, but really, it's two people looking at Jamie as a tool, 
and trying mm-hmm. to see how they can use that tool. Yep. I felt like that makes it more obvious that Jamie refused his father's, like, well, you can just leave the Kingsguard and renounce your vows and go get married and all this. At least I didn't read into it that he didn't want that life for himself because it would take him away from Cersei. I read into it that he didn't want that for himself because it would dishonor everything that he has committed himself to so far. Right. Like he doesn't want to break his vow. Yeah. While, you know, he took it in the first place to be close to Cersei. Uh, So that's a function that will agree. So, so this episode of Davos Fingers covers the purple wedding, which is a major event in the storyline. But I think this is the best chapter of this episode because we get to see we get to see Jamie's arc over the last several chapters of his finally come to uh, come to its fruition. Right, all the mm-hmm. way through the Riverlands uh, on the way to King's Landing, he's kind of growing and growing and growing, and it's kind of steady progress for us all to see. But when he gets to King's Landing he gets splashed with cold water being reminded how all these people really are. And they're splashed right. with cold water to to see all of these changes at once, not just the physical, but all the different ways he's now carrying himself. And it's just a breath of complete fresh air to see all of that development come crashing into this chapter. It's awesome. Mm. Yeah, it's very well written. And to see Jamie trying to kind of figure himself out like how he he has changed a lot but he still wants cersei and he still wants to keep his vows but he still wants to come public about he and cersei and it's it's very fascinating to see how he tries to kind of straddle the line he's kind of just figuring it out as he goes even his treatment of brienne like actually looking out for her welfare calling her by name Uh is sort of like a crown on their arc as well Mm, like they made it they made it and then he turns her in. Well, for her own safety. Yeah, yeah, I know. I also really love that whole exchange with Sir Loras. Like, not once did he insult her for being a woman. He respected the fact that she is a knight. I'm making air quotes. Uh-huh. He wanted to duel her. He also fears her because she is a good swordswoman. Yeah, it was great. It's like, yeah. Finally, someone who respects this girl. I mean, hates her guts, but respects her. Yeah. Uh, He's got that Tyrell, uh, oh, do you say chivalry, maybe? Politeness. Uh, reasonableness. Yeah. He's... Yeah. Acts like a human. If yeah. if Loras and, and Garland are this great, imagine what Willis is like. Oh, oh he's a dreamboat. <laughs> he's a dreamboat with a slight limp. Oh. <laughs> But he's he's sworn to another. He's sworn to another. <laughs> Obi, a fella, a fella down in Dorne. A fella down in Dorne. A, a fun Should little game. Sworn to, his his heart belongs to another. <laughs> a fun little game. Lose a hand or lose a child. Would you rather? Would you rather? Okay, go. Oh, what would you rather? Because you got a spare. Child, that is. <laughs> Are you asking me? Matt has two yeah. spares. I'm more interested in his Matt answer. I've got kids that are listening to this in 20 years, remember? So, <laughs> kids, I pick you. Hopefully mine never will, Dad, but I, I would pick my kids Daddy for sure. picks you. Yeah. You know, they got, Wait, like... Dad, they... Daddy picks you to be taken? Daddy would choose you to live. 
You Let's can be, be the judge strong. of which one of you he's talking to right now. <laughs> the other two yeah, are getting he's, ta- he, he's talking to his favorite right now. You know who you are. You know who you are. Yeah, uh, yeah I would... I would you're not him or I would, her. I would totally pick my kids, but only because... Only because... The software has come so long in being able to translate words into text, so I'd still be able to, you know, do my job and everything and function. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, right. that's true. Well, and and through all that, no facetiousness. Seems... You guys actually bought that? Yes. <sighs> and I'm moving on. Fine. I'm <laughs> not. Just, I'm not cold. I love my kids. He loves his kids. I can. I can witness to it. It's funny that through all that, though, Jamie seems more interested in sending a message about he and Cersei than he is about actually having another son. Like, there's that moment where he's like, I'll give her another kid or whatever. Yeah. It, and it's just like, that's only just to please Cersei. It, there's no interest in children for him. Um, but he is very interested in, like I said, sending that message to everybody that he and Cersei are, they love each other. And all of that. And I was like, that's kind of callous of you, Jamie. But then I, as I thought about that, I was like, well, look at Jamie's dad. Look at the fatherly influence that he's had in his life. And you can kind of see why Jamie isn't interested in the whole father thing in his life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Perhaps. I mean, he doesn't have a good sense of what it is to be a father, Jamie, for sure. So To be in in the sense of a warm, caring well, his head, his head just isn't in that space. He he, his head is in the space of knowing how to be with Cersei and be in love with her. Exactly. But yes, I I feel like that whole thing of let's let's get married, you know, fuck what everyone thinks, we'll just do it. It's almost like his last ditch ultimatum. It's like she has to agree to this, and if she does, then everything that I've been thinking about this being bad or wrong is is was wrong. If she, if she agrees to this, then I know she's with me and I can revert back to who we were and it'll all go back to being great. And when she turns that down, it's like, that's like the straw for him to me. It's like, Oh mm-hmm. no, this, my, my hope to going back to that life is over now. Yeah. Do you think Cersei loves Jamie? No, no. I, I mean, I've said this before. Yeah. I, I think everyone in Jamie's life sees him as a tool to be used. And he allowed it to happen for a long time. And so they've just used him as a tool forever. Yeah, and, I, and I'd also say that his his wanting to come out as a sister lover wasn't real. Like, he, he knows that's impossible for many reasons. But I think he wanted to hear Cersei say yes. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, of course, they wouldn't do it. But he just wanted her to show the same passion that Them he has the for world. her. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. And it's like you're the one there. thing that kept me going, Cersei, through everything I've just been through. You are what kept me going. Right. Validate that somehow. Right. Nope. Well, you know, you mentioned the would you rather game. I think if it came down to Cersei picking, would you rather face, you know, public ruination and shame uh, if you did come clean or dumping Jamie? Would you rather do one of the two? I think she'd dump Jamie, whereas we know for Jamie it'd be different. Yeah. Uh, do we want to have a really uncomfortable conversation about rape or not? Uh, Move on. When you put it like that, how could before. we not? <laughs> well, really teed it up. 
<laughs> I mean, according to the textbook definition of consent, I have raped my wife every single time we've made love. Because I've never asked her, do you want to have sex? And she has never said, yes, I want to have sex with you. That's not the way it ever works with consenting people. You, you know, you kind of mm. feel it out and you have sex. Wait till they're asleep and you sneak up behind them. Not anything like that at all. And I don't, I don't mean to make light of rape. That's not at all my intent. I'm just, I'm just simply saying that I think, I think the way people define rape as, did you get consent? Did you actually ask them the question of, do you want to have sex with me? And did they say yes? No one does that. And so it's a, it's a really long, it's a really hard line to draw for, for consent to me. But in this case, she actually does say no to him once. Mm-hmm. But mm. then, but then she does everything else that that seems like this sounds like victim blaming or something. But she wants it, right? She's still she's almost using oh. that no, no, don't as a tool to get him to do it, right? It's like a manipulation don't. tactic. Don't. Right. Well, to go to go back to your first point, I think in this day and age, outside of a committed relationship. 100% absolutely you should get verbal confirmation that your partner wants to have sex. Just just play it safe. You can even make it sexy. Hey, baby. We gonna do this? Yeah, we gonna do this? Th- th- that's not good enough. We gonna do this is not good enough. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm serious. If you're gonna, if you're gonna do, do the political correct thing of get consent, no, you need to ask the actual question and get an right. actual yes response. Or you are... Breaking the law, technically. Like, well, oh boy, yeah, we are really getting into some murky waters here. All right, we can we can scale it back. Can we, can we focus it? Yeah, can we focus in on what happened between Jamie and Cersei? Well, that's what I tried to do, and then you took it back you... to in a non-committed relationship. <laughs> well, scared. <laughs> You're victim blaming again. What? I'm not victim okay, blaming. So the question the question <laughs> I asked was. Was Cer- was Cersei using her own skills to try to lure him into that action in the specific text of this book? I don't think so. No, I think she honestly wasn't thinking about doing it at that time and wasn't trying to get him to do it by saying, no, no, don't. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I guess it's always situational. And in this case... Um, the situation is that Circe was not trying to seduce him. I agree with you on that. But I also don't think she didn't want it. I feel oh, like, yeah. like yeah. a lot of their communication is sexual. It's, it's sexual and it's subtle. Yeah. And so I think, uh, well, you know what? I'm just going to step back from this. It's a gray line. Stepping you know back. what? Scat asks the hard questions. <laughs> you did wow well and no she more... mentions before that she is worried like she is worried about getting caught yeah um the whole risk of it the danger yeah, by their dad and so and so she she you can see why there would be some struggle at the beginning even if she wanted to do it she's thinking this isn't the time this isn't the place we shouldn't do this here but like you said a lot of their communication is sexual and once it started she might have Okay. Yeah, I feel strongly that if Cersei had said no, absolutely not, Jamie would not have pushed her. But there is some, you know. Hmm. Hurry, she was whispering now. Quickly, quickly. Yeah. Do it now. Do me now, Jamie, 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 Jamie. Yes, yes. 
my sweet brother. Yes, like that. Uh, shall I go on? <laughs> <laughs> You're home oh, wow. now. You're home now. You're home. Yeah, that kind of cancels more dramatically. out the, the initial. I do it more dramatically, like Scad doing his reenactment of the. Yeah, do the brother oh, line again in the accent. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> we have derailed. No. Uh, made a point. Yeah, no. Thank you for approaching it so carefully, Scad. In an episode of Dick Jokes, this was a good conversation to have. Yes. Thanks. I hope I, I really do. I mean this very sincerely. I, I hope the way I, I tackled that didn't offend anyone. Uh, I am absolutely, absolutely um, not in favor of victim blaming in any way. Um, it's a very <laughs> well, sensitive we'll see. subject. We'll see what your wife people. says after she listens to this. Yeah, we'll see. She's like, you never <laughs> did get my consent. <laughs> I didn't sign a dang thing. Uh, anyway, uh, let's move on. Are we anything else for uh, for the Jamie chapter? All right. Well, guys, uh, we made it through the Purple Wedding. You're welcome. It's a lot <laughs> of, uh, you know, a lot of relief after dealing with all the angst of the Red Wedding uh, for some of us. <clears throat> so, anyway, uh, we're about to enter the world of Davos After Dark. If you want to jump off now and you don't want to be spoiled, uh, just make sure to join us in three weeks. Uh, we'll be having more Storm of Swords. That'll be Davos 6, John 8, Arya 12, Tyrion 9, and Jamie 8. That's chapter 63 to 67, according to A Wiki of Ice and Fire. And uh, I always do remind, uh, if you love the jingles, go hit up Bandcamp. Uh, we are doublesfingers.bandcamp.com. And uh, you can get those for free, or you can drop in a little donation wherever you choose. But uh, check it out, guys. Uh, and lastly, go check out Matt's Red Wedding essay. It's awesome. Doublesfingers.com, and then click on Writings. It's cool. All right, now, time for Davos After Dark. Davos After Dark. Let's start with Purple Wedding Analysis. Should we just, just go? We'll just jump right into the just main event? Jump right into it? Uh, no, no you know what? Let's, or anything. Let's, just go right into it. Let's go, let's go with the hairnet. Let's start with the hairnet okay. instead. So she tucks it away d- deep down in her pockets when Dantos kind of st- startles her, right? She hides yep. it in her pockets. And spends the rest of the chapter, you know, accusing Dantos of not telling her what it was, right? Um, he just uh-huh. says it's magic or something. But she she has it somewhere, probably. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. Think she'll use it? I think she's hanging on to that sucker. I think it's going to get used. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's, like, a... it's like Tyrion and his dried mushrooms. Just a, just a little bit of insurance, for whatever reason. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I I wonder if she's going to use it on Little Thing one day. It, that would be sweet, sweet justice, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, a plot he hatched, yeah. uh, you know, with with the Tyrells, and it comes around to uh, to bite him. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It'd be it'd stuff be that cool. on the nose is not Germ's style. No, it'd be uh, cool. True. It'd be cool if she somehow had breakfast with Cersei again and used it there. <laughs> just like with with aria getting the three killings from Jacquin, she's got like this whole hairnet of free killings now yes. that she's just gonna go around <laughs> just ending people she needs to roll a sleight of hand check every time but uh yeah she can just murder people at dinner there you go yeah. Ellen Payne, you get this in your drink yeah cersei lannister you get this in your drink yeah 
Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, it doesn't seem her style killing, right? But she does yeah. kind of evolve into this um, individual of of more of more power and more uh, I don't know aggress- aggression and, and capability, ruthlessness. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. <clears throat> and she Littlefinger's um... definitely teaching her, right? So. Yeah, you have to wonder what would, because I agree with you. What would what would be the impetus for her finally deciding to give in to something like that? You know, and I wonder if. Uh, and I was, uh, uh, Radio Westeros goes into this more than, than I had thought about it. Although I had thought about it, was if and when she finally finds out uh, about Jane Poole, her former best friend, and the hand that Littlefinger played in getting Jane Poole to where she is right now and if that kind of throws her over the edge and she's like uh uh that's my girl and uh revenge would be sounds about right yeah he basically sold uh Jane into uh, like sex trafficking kind of right put Mm. her up in a brothel I, I need more she information. Is. This is apparently stuff fancy. from the Feast for Crows or Dance with Dragons that I've forgotten. I, I don't remember Littlefinger having anything to do with that. Remi- but... uh, clear back in Game of Thrones where he um, they're talking about how Jane was witness to people to Sansa getting taken away and stuff. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I'll take care of Jane. Uh... And it ends up he, he sent her to one of his brothels. Okay. And, of course, she ends up being and the fake Arya. supplies her as the fake Arya, mm-hmm. yeah. So he's what worked with, worked with Tywin on that Red Wedding style to be a chip. I think so. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. That's that's then a, a another piece yeah. of the Red Wedding that we didn't mention. Then that the Tywin uh, that Littlefinger must have known at least something about the mm. Red Wedding going on. Hmm. Maybe not. Maybe he just said, "Hey, mm-hmm. I know you tucked her away. I need her." And Littlefinger just snapped yeah. too. It's possible he didn't know much. Yeah, that's more of my thoughts. You never know with that guy. Yeah, and and he would never endorse killing Catelyn. I mean, they never planned to kill her in the first place. Oh, that's a good point. Or would he? Yeah. Throw him off track? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think that's... mm, Too far? Too far? That's his line? Yeah, that's his line. Yeah, hairnet. Uh, But yeah, the hairnet, it it never gets mentioned again. Right. After. Not, Not so far, yeah. After Peter, like, at some point in the next Sansa chapter, uh, or maybe, like, two from now, I can't remember. Anyways, he's like, hey, at some point during the evening, someone told you that your hairnet was crooked and straightened it for you, and then she puts all the pieces together. Mm-hmm. Elena. All right, uh, on that note, let's jump into the Purple Wedding. Oh, boy, let me get my notebook. Yeah. So, um... I don't. Some of this is like history. I don't want to belabor it if like everyone knows it, but a lot of stuff went down. So Peter and the Tyrells concoct the plan at or around Bitterbridge, right? The idea that they're going to do something like this. So this is before the Battle least, of Blackwater. Yeah, the the beginnings of it. The beginnings yeah. of it. They probably didn't have all the details set yet or anything, but they they started hatching the plan enough even to know that they had to give Sansa that that hairnet because they gave that pretty early on. Uh, so Sansa's right. given the net, spoken to softly by the Tyrells of all shapes and colors, uh, to become friends with them, to trust them, to like them. Um, Mace gives a goblet as his gift to Joffrey that they'll be sure mm-hmm. to use. Peter in the background has been convincing Joff this whole time to bring dwarven jousters, ensuring that conflict would come up with Tyrion. 
somehow, I, I don't know, this may be just a theory, but the Tyrells somehow convince them to see Tyrion near Garland and Olenna. Um, Garland has a calming influence on Tyrion, is very nice to him, keeps things kind of running smooth a little bit. Um, and also, you know, by, by Olenna too. Olenna manages to get near Sansa to take the stone from her uh, hairnet before the, before the reception. Marjorie actually helps draw Joffrey away from the cup that's been put on the table to cut the pie. Like, you know, like, I'll take amazing distractions for 500, Alex. A million <laughs> fucking birds flying from a pie. Nobody's going to see anybody slip anything into a drink anywhere. Um, mm. Olena, Garland, and Leonette, uh, somebody then does that. Poisons the glass. Could be Tyrion, I suppose, but nobody thinks so, right? It's Tyrion's POV, and he doesn't remember doing it. But, again, he says he doesn't remember some other things earlier. Somebody poisons right before the pie, which causes the illusion of choking on the pie. Olena is actually the first to suggest they help the king, and Sir Garland is actually the first to actually try. Amazing that the first people that react knew it was going to happen and mm -hmm. are, like, getting their voices out there to be heard that they did everything they could to help, right? <laughs> it's like they smelt it, they dealt it. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and Lady Allery is the first to insinuate the pie as well. Right after he dies, she's like, oh, you, it's okay, he choked on the pie, everyone saw, like, hoping that would just carry through and everyone would think pie, yeah, it was the pie. Um, so a lot of little, just kind of little details that go into that dinner that... Uh, that they took care to control uh, in order to make sure it went off without a hitch. Yes. Anything to add, Indeed. Matt? I think you had several points. Well, I wonder I wonder if the Tyrells were planning on implicating Tyrion the whole time. I wonder if they were. Because they would have to trust in him flipping out. And that's a pretty big risk to take. Enough to cause a scene that would make Joffrey come over and dump a wine glass on him and stuff. So, mm. I, you know what I mean? Well, yeah. Like, I would argue that they didn't plan specifically for that, for Joffrey to dump the wine on his uncle. I uh -huh. think, but they did plan for some kind of scene. I think, I think Absolutely. All, they, all they planned for was the dwarf jousters causing there to be some discussion between the two of them that got them close enough to the Tyrells seated near Tyrion. Mm -hmm. They knew that they could get themselves seated near Tyrion, and they knew that they could cause something that caused an interaction there, and that they could do the jousting. I don't know exactly how they would have controlled this, I suppose, but they could do the jousting right, right before the pie is cut, and that, that would leave the chalice right there to be used. You know, Matt, you might have a point. Maybe they didn't know about Tyrion. My my thoughts are a tiny bit different, and that this isn't discrediting you, Scott, because I think that there's evidence there to, to prove yours. But I came at it from a little different angle. I think that I think that Marjorie was going to be the initial poisoner. And I think the plan was still to do it during the pie cutting. When all the birds were flying out of the pie and everything, that's still a perfect distraction for putting poison in the cup and then they can blame it on him eating the pie probably or something like that. And then I think that's, so yeah, she was going to do it. She comes over 
to Tyrion once the scene starts, right? So I think they called a bit of an audible here. And I think Olena comes over too. Either she came over or she was just close by because it talks about her saying stuff to him. Um, my first thought was that she did come over to them, but then when I looked back, it it's a little more ambiguous. We just know she's close by at this point. So I think a handoff happened at that point. An audible was called, and I think that the poison was then handed to Garland. And I think then that Garland put the poison in the chalice during the pie cutting, and then later on Cersei blamed Tyrion. Of course, we need to remember that, that it was Cersei that first blamed him. Or Joffrey, uh, that's, depending on... Well, Joffrey, yes, points, very good. Yeah, him. Joffrey. I, I mean, who knows Joffrey what he meant. But... Yeah. But uh, I, I think that Garland did it, and I think that it was kind of as an audible. Why, why do you think that? What, ev- what evidence pointed you that way? Convenience. Um, I think that, again, Marjorie was going to do it, and then she might have gone, oh boy, this isn't going to happen the way we want it to because Joffrey's flipping out and going to Tyrion. So she goes over, and at that point she can make a slick handoff to Garland. Uh, there's plenty of opportunity to do it when Joffrey and Tyrion are arguing and you know she's got Tyrion, or he's got Tyrion looking under the table for his chalice and stuff. Um, I think there's plenty of opportunity to do that. And then, of course, Garland has the perfect chance to do it while the cup is sitting right in front of him um, during the pie cutting. Hmm. But I, I think definitely that's... think it was Garland that dropped it in. It had it... to have happened at some point because it, there's a very small window when it could have happened because Joffrey takes a drink of the wine that Tyrion poured for him and then he places the chalice on the table in front of where Garland and Tyrion are. And at that point, Garland helps Tyrion up and uh, then... They call him back over to cut the pie. Joffrey goes back, and then he drinks it and dies. So that's when it had to have happened, has been between those two drinks that Joffrey took. Mm-hmm. Right right when the pie is happening. To me, there's not yes. enough evidence of anything. To I mean, right. I always assumed that's why it was, I didn't, a, I why I didn't it was Elena that did yeah. it. That's why I didn't discredit but, yours. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I think just... Garland's more perfectly situated because he's sitting right where the cup is. Sounds like you do know that. Uh, it was, he placed it right in front of where Garland and Tyrion were sitting. Huh. Uh, I kind of wondered if Tywin was in on the poisoning. Think it's possible. He's it's actually possible. he's actually the one that says that like interrupts Joff. the whole thing and says, "Joff, hey, hey, we got the pie coming over here." Stop! <laughs> I gotta get on... this. The I gotta cup... get this poisoning back on track. The cup is exactly where it needs to be. Come cut the pie, right? Well, and in defense of that theory, he talks about Joffrey needing a sharp lesson. That's a little too sharp, right? <laughs> <laughs> but well, for the man that set up the uh, the the gang rape of of Tysha, um, yeah, he's prone yeah. to to sharp lessons. Yeah, uh, and, it's, and it's actually like a lesson for six. Tommen or something. Um, right. uh, the, I mean, the only evidence really of of him being involved was is just that he conveniently is he's silent this whole time. He doesn't right. like say anything except that, right? Uh-huh. And interrupts and says, "Hey, come cut the pie." Like you'd think he'd be all about Tyrion, just getting embarrassed as fuck, right? right. Um, but he interrupts it. He also, you know, right after in the Jamie chapter says, 
I want Tommen away from his mother. We got to start over and we got to build like a real monarch here. Mm-hmm. And so like it could just be like a knock the pieces off the board. Like let's start over. I'm start in. over. I'm in on this thing. I'll help. I don't have any evidence yeah. really. Just an interesting I, thought. No, I, I thought it was an interesting thought too. I thought of some counter thoughts to that, but cool. again, not meant to discredit you uh, or your your thoughts. Um, one is just Tywin's pride, and would he? go in with the Tyrells to kill his some his own kin? I, I don't know. I, there, Tywin is, I mean, we'll say this for him, he's loyal to family. He's not warm with them. He's not loving to them. But he cares about Lannisters, it seems like. I mean, he had how many opportunities to kill Tyrion his whole life? Like, he could have killed Tyrion at any time. He hates Tyrion, honestly. But he never did. He never killed Tyrion. Um... He's about and to, so I, or he's about to try. And, and that he, was my and, counterpoint and, and to my dis- counterpoint. was like, oh, he's going to. In the next chapter. Yep, but he doesn't ever kill him. Um, and so, and with, and with the, the potential problems that the Lannisters are in right now, their pool of, at least Tywin's side of the family, their pool's getting smaller in terms of male heirs who can take yeah. over things. They've got Joffrey and then they've got Tommen yeah. and that's it. Um, so I, I'm a little hesitant to believe that he'd kill one of them off while they're in that situation. Of course, that could be why he's so wanting to get the twins married off again so that they can have babies and restock that pool of potential heirs. But uh, yeah, in the end, could be, could be. Yeah, I mean, there's thoughts for and against it. There's no evidence whatsoever. It's just a fun thing to think about, I think. Oh, that being said, just to close out the Tyrion thing, even if the Tyrells weren't planning on implicating Tyrion, I think there's no question that Littlefinger yeah, had the intention of implicating yeah. Tyrion. And right. you made that very clear with the dwarf thing and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Littlefinger's involvement in this whole thing is, is interesting. Like, what he... What he thinks he gets out of it. Is he really in bed with the Tyrells? Um, yeah, I don't know. I I actually tried to come up with some sort of connection between the Tyrells and the Targaryens to, mm-hmm. to try to, like, I don't know, find some support for Tyrion being a Targaryen or something. But I, I couldn't find anything. There's, like, virtually no connection between the Tyrells and the Targar- Targaryens that I could find. <laughs> Hey, that's a nice line of thought. Yeah. I did okay. have a okay. I did have a, a small theory on why Tyrion would or why Littlefinger would want to implicate Tyrion. And what set me off was the little clue about the dwarf pennies that Olena brings up. Do you remember that part? I do. I didn't know what it I didn't even know what she was referring to. It's a it's a tax that Tyrion implemented. Well actually it was Tywin that implemented, but Tyrion's master of coins, so he Oh he's responsible for it it's where it's the, like a penny for every transaction that a prostitute has right, the whore tax goes yeah. to the crown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. Um, and, and remember Littlefinger owns a whole bunch of brothels. And so this affects him financially, this dwarf tax, not only that though, but that got me thinking of, you know, how Littlefinger has his hands in everything. And we remembered back to that one chapter where Tyrion was pouring over Littlefinger's ledgers and trying to figure out cash trails and stuff like that. Um, and I think that 
makes it kind of clear to me that Littlefinger's involved in some shady business dealings, probably some money laundering, some stuff like that. And uh, I think he's he's worried that Tyrion's going to figure all this out and sort of bring him down. So I think he wants Tyrion out of that position, uh, probably so Littlefinger can get one of his own guys in it. We know he owns just about every person in the King's Landing financial department. Um probably wants to get someone else in there who's not going to figure out all his devious schemes and bring every all of his financial endeavors crashing down so that's one reason why i can see why he'd want to implement uh, get Tyrion uh taking the fall for it financial incentive it, it exists mm-hmm. okay um should we uh, th- uh i can't remember whose note this was but uh mentioned uh sansa's maids being sequestered Waiting to be questioned by Cersei, and that this is where Cersei makes the pitch to Shay. I didn't even remember that Cersei made a pitch to Shay. You guys go into this real quick. Rookie? That wasn't my note. Oh, was it my note? It must have been. Um, I did not know that they spoke or that we received evidence that we spoke that they spoke either. I think that Shay would have been pretty quick to spill the beans, given the right compensation. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, definitely. Um, but they they must have spoken, right? Because Shay's testimony at Tyrion's trial ha- was pre-planned, obviously, um, and and in the, uh, Cersei's favor. So, yeah. Yeah, it's in. I. I couldn't tell you which uh, chapter it's in. It's got to be in A Feast for Crows because I'm almost positive. It's a Cersei POV chapter. Um, she offered Shay uh, like a marriage to a knight and stuff like that and a place in King's Landing, kind of like the one she had before in exchange for her testimony. I'm actually looking forward to rereading that chapter. Me too. I, remember yeah. it all. Yeah. I think it's fairly quick. Cool. All right. Um... Anything else, but, you guys? Go ahead. Yeah, you wonder if, if Cersei, like, drew it out of Shay, or if Shay, like, offered it up right away. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. My opinion of Shay has always been uh, that she does what she does, and she's very good at what she does, and she does it for money, and that she mm-hmm. would have no pain in giving up anything as soon as she was in trouble. Yeah. You have to wonder if Varys was involved in stuff because like, can you imagine Cersei not knowing any of this and just thinking I've won a question Sansa's bridesmaids to or not bridesmaids, uh what what would we call them? Chambermaids. Handmaids. Um, handmaids. handmaids yeah. Thank you. She's like, I just want to figure out what they knew or whatever, and then Shay drops this bombshell on her. Can you imagine Cersei's eyes just getting <laughs> wider like you did what? What? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you, you kind of wonder if once Tyrion's imprisoned, if Varys would have spilled those beans. Or just been like, maybe you should question maybe, yeah. Sansa's handmaidens. Yeah. Especially that one. So it is Cersei that does the questioning of them, not somebody else? Uh, it's according to that that uh, passage. Hmm. Interesting. Her. Like Brooke, I'm excited to read that. Uh, okay uh, anything else been going for a bit knowing later that one of the dwarves was like a sweet Aww. gentle young woman a penny <laughs> yeah 
Grim did not pre-plan that. He did not know. Do you know why I know that? Because of the humping. That's why. (laughs) Why? Penny would never do that. It's performing. Too too sweet. Too innocent. saying Al Pacino would never play a murderer. She's a wholesome actress, okay? (laughs) She's got standards. She's from the plains of Kansas, small town. (laughs) In the big city, she wouldn't compromise her values. Never. And more than that, she would never let Pretty Pig be humped. (laughs) (laughs) She does love that pig. Pretty Pig has her dignity. I I think you're underestimating the need to eat. (laughs) <laughs> I think you're overestimating the need for peppering any sort of uh, entertainment with humping. Uh, I don't know. It got a good laugh. True. I'm not. I'm I'm not. I I think maybe George is peppering that in there. <laughs> but no, your your point is taken. I mean, I, I certainly he doesn't think of everything as he's writing it maybe he didn't know that she was going to show up later it's an interesting thought yeah scad um i like your theory about peter telling the truth about cat do you want to go into that at all or are you exhausted uh i i don't have like i don't have a, a written uh red wedding paper uh on it or anything but that's happened once ever in our history it's not like that's the precedent well i've been i've been hinting at it throughout this podcast and if every if anyone goes back and listens to all 44 episodes up to this point um you can hear me in the cat chapters and in various chapters say i think there's something more to this cat little finger thing um and and i i do i think there's more to it cat in her povs frequently thinks back to peter in situations where she has no need to unless there mm-hmm. was something more to it than yeah he he was just around when we were kids and we were friends she right. thinks about him a lot uh in situations that are that they don't that don't require it and uh-huh. <clears throat> i don't really see Terry I, I don't really see little finger getting anything out of persisting this lie if it were a lie um I, it seems it seems like one thing that like he is proud of in his life that he maintains regardless of anyone's disbelief and you know if people were that disbelieving of it you'd think he'd just sheathe it and put it away for a while and be like yeah they don't fucking know whatever i'm not gonna i'll just not talk about it anymore but he brings it up regularly to anyone that will listen as gospel and it's a weird thing to bullshit about he doesn't get Which anything is kind out of, of funny it. yeah it's funny but he doesn't really get anything out of it and yeah i think there's more to it i haven't put i haven't put all my thoughts together on it but so to be clear though so you think that they did uh have sex at least once i don't know that's what or I do mean you think that she's just got theories uh, or not theories but that she's got uh unresolved feelings for peter because i think there might be some of that because i agree that she does think of him in some interesting situations and scenarios I will I will put off my opinion about whether it really happened all the way or not for the future because I'm still <laughs> developing it. But it's something it's something more it. it's something more than than meets the eye like Transformers. Yeah. I, I've got West... a... Oh, I think Brooke's going to bring it up because I was so really? pleased. I 
thought it through and I was like, this is what I think happened. And then I listened to the Radio Westeros episode and they said it too. And anytime little Radio Westeros, I can say something that they can cor- corroborate is like, oh, you feel, the best day you feel like you got a medal. Yeah. <laughs> so, so have they, have they gone so, through all this, all this stuff and, mm-hmm. and I don't even need to yeah. bother. Yeah. Their theory is a little on the side of Littlefinger in that he believes that he mm-hmm. did take Sansa's maiden head. Oh, and it was but really the way, Lysa. Cat, oh my god. Yeah, Catelyn's maiden head. But they break down and analyze, you know, his retellings and any mention of it and figure out that he was likely quite drunk. Yeah. And then he actually had sex with Liza, believing it was Catelyn. Uh, Liza Liza breaks that. Right. Yeah, Liza doesn't think that he thought she was Catelyn, or else he or she she he was saying her name while they were doing the deed. That's what but, happened. Uh, she said he said cat, cat as they were. Yeah. yeah, but she she sort of like deluded herself into believing that he was mourning cat and appreciating the fact that Liza was stepping up even if cat yeah. would not. So there's a lot of misinterpretation on either part, but sex was had. And it wasn't with Catelyn. Yeah, it's a good theory. And Catelyn talks about how in uh, in her one of her POVs earlier in A Storm of Swords, she mentioned specifically about the night she gave her maidenhead to Eddard. Which she does. I'm not true. a woman, but I think that they know when they're yes. doing that. Yes, although... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Do you want a woman to chime in? <laughs> you just gonna make some more assumptions? That, that was kind of just me <laughs> passing the, the microphone to you. <laughs> Listen, duty, honor, family. She definitely did not go to her wedding night. A sullied woman. I, I, my theory on that, and so I, I cannot. Other, other than. Uh, taking into account the fragility of her POV generally, which I think is pretty unreliable. I don't know that it's unreliable enough that she's fancied that she was a maiden when she wasn't on her wedding night. That's a pretty steep thing to to assume. But Mm -hmm. I think she brings up family duty honor all the time as a means of guilt because Mm. she doesn't feel like she's always acted that way. And now she, Mm. she has to always keep that at the forefront because that's how she has to act from now on because she didn't always. That's how I respond to that, but... Again, I'm not. I'm not willing to say like, yes, it happened. I there's. I need to put yeah. some thoughts. That is one way of looking at it. Yeah. I'm, I'm willing to say 100 that I'm 100 convinced she didn't have at least sex with Peter. Uh, unresolved feelings and stuff like that. Perhaps totally. Think it through, buddy. I like your theory. I want to. I want to hear more. Yeah, it'll never happen. <laughs> Okay, right. uh, Dolls After Dark. We had it? We've had it. We've had it. All right. Let's uh, go to sign-off. This is Brooks signing off saying, I'm glad that Game of Owns didn't go Dance of Crows or worst, A Feast of Dragons because I don't eat dragon. It's not a meal for peasants. It's a meal for kings, and I'm sort of a common man. Oh, <laughs> come on. Be kinder to yourself. <laughs> it's from it's from um it's always sunny in philadelphia i know okay (laughs) it's a really good episode (laughs) i just love that show so much 
Um, oh man, I just realized we totally forgot to talk about Garland a lot, and I love that guy. Um, so the most ballsy moment. I just want to sign off with the, what I thought was the most ballsy moment of this whole chapter block, when Garland says to Tyrion, and this is Matt signing off saying, "That was ill done, Your Grace." In a whisper under 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 his breath. Yeah, he said it to Joffrey. Yeah, but under his yeah, breath he said in a it whisper. To Joffrey. No. Yeah, you said it. Say said under his breath. It does. Said he said it. It says he says it under his breath, or he mutters it, or yeah. something. Okay, you want me to look oh, it up? Yeah. I read Joffrey the chapter. I read the chapter Joffrey. four times. Ah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Dick measure her yeah, chapter reading skills. Yeah, just Joffrey so. is like it wasn't ill done. This guy's my my uh, my cupbearer, or something like that. Not Tyrion says that. Tyrion says that. Ah. Uh, Maybe Joffrey didn't hear. That but was the fact ill done, that... Your Grace. He heard Sir Garland say quietly. Yeah, <laughs> but Joffrey was right there. You don't think quietly and under his breath is pretty close to the same thing? <laughs> Doesn't have to be when Joffrey's that close. I'm just saying it wasn't the ballsiest thing done in the chapter. The ballsiest thing done in the chapter was nutting up and actually putting the poison in the drink, whoever did it. <laughs> Which because also Garland that, did. Garland, so. because, yeah. Well, I think it was Elena, but uh, that was... That was the ballsiest moment for sure, because that was where the tipping point really occurs, right? Well, you're wrong, but okay. What? <laughs> you and I are going to fight on Monday. Uh, all right, my sign-off quote is simply... <coughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> nice. Good night, everybody. Guys. Black and white, red and blue, I think that looks good on you. Um, So when you discuss what we're going to do, you'll just say, yes, we're combining the books. Yes, we're going to use A Feast with Dragons. Is that what it's called? A Feast with Dragons? It's with dragons. A Feast with Dragons. Yeah, my sign-off actually discusses this. Okay. Uh, I don't have a sign-off. Shit, I better find one. Me neither. Uh, Wow, complete reversal. I actually have one. Yeah. This is amazing. What's going on? It's the end times. If it's gonna make us laugh, say something. Let's let's discuss that. What? Otherwise, uh, that's a good then... yardstick, but I don't think it should be the only yardstick. What if it's just a really important point from the story? <laughs> no, there's no important points in these stories. <laughs> <laughs> let's right. be real. <laughs> okay, uh, should we podcast? Darling, yeah. Just need you to name an animal. Yeah. That we eat but doesn't eat us. Doesn't eat us. That's easy. A dragon. <laughs> Charlie, do you eat dragon? No, I don't eat dragon because uh, it's it's not a meal for peasants. It's a meal for kings, and I'm sort of a common man. But they don't eat us. They it's a, a misconception. They actually eat gold and treasure. That's why they're always sitting on a big pile of it. Bad answer. Bad answer. Bad answer. Bad answer. It's, it's a bad answer. Okay, show bad me answer. dragon. Ah! <laughs> I told you! Oh my god! Hey.
Hey, friends and family, just to fill in on some of the music we used for today's episode. Not a ton this time, and of course, noticeably absent is any Slayer music, but we did have some good ones. So first of all, we had uh, Stan, which is by Eminem. That's off his album, the Marshall Mathers LP. A genius song. I love the storytelling displayed in that one. Uh, and then the second song that we used is called Purple Stain by the Red Hot Chili Peppers off of their album Californication. Maybe not quite as genius a song, but still catchy as can be uh, one of my favorites off of that album. So anyways, we'll catch you guys next time. Have a good one. See ya. Mm-hmm.